Uh, if I have another chance to meet you yet, my name's Chris, uh, one of the elders here, get to teach and preach uh, a lot of Sundays, and so excited to do that. Um, but just before we jump into the Gospel of Matthew, which we have been going through for some time, I just have some like family business to take care of, and I'll just say this before we jump into this morning. The next two Sundays, so this morning and next Sunday, are pretty uh, big for us as a church uh, especially next Sunday. So I just strongly encourage you to be here next Sunday. We're going to take a break, a one-week break from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to actually have like a bit of a, it's not a family chat, I mean, but we are going to talk about uh, what it means for us as a church family to have uh, elders, what it means for us as a church family, and how we organize ourselves in terms of leadership. And uh, it's really, it doesn't seem like a big deal, especially if you've been in church for any length of time, uh, but around here uh, at West Village, it's a very big deal. We're going to be bringing forward uh, Ken and Rena DeSaw because Ken is an elder candidate. And so we're going to bring him in front of the church family, uh, which is really exciting. If you know Ken and Rena, they're wonderful. Uh, and we are going to ask you and us together as a church family to discern uh, whether we feel like they are called to be uh, elders or pastors, uh, Ken in particular, uh, in our church family. And so really encourage you to be here next week as we uh, unpack this, what it means for us as a church. Um, yeah, so just really want to leave that with you to, to try and make that a priority. Uh, and then this morning, we have another announcement, a big announcement to make. This is Dave, everybody. Everybody say hi to Dave. Dave, you're talking to that microphone thing there, yeah. Uh, Dave and his wife, Leah, uh, and their little guy, Jax, have been hanging out with us for how long now? Uh, since August. August. Yeah, yeah, and and we have you have more history with West Village than just that, right? Yeah. So um, Chris and I actually connected way back in the day when when Chris was a youth pastor with Sandwich Baptist, and then uh, we got reconnected <coughs> after he had started West Village, and uh, my uh, one of my buddies and I we were doing university ministry at UVic. Uh, we were working with uh, UCM. And uh, at that point in time, we were really like, man, how do we make disciples that make disciples? How do we plant churches that plant churches? We just kind of like put our heads up and looked around and looked for other people that we really felt like had a same ministerial heart, uh, same evangelical heart. And that's when I kind of got reconnected with Chris and started plugging in with West Village at that time. Yeah, and there was there's a, a, quite a few people here now who were a part of your ministry then, right? Like, yeah. so Mike and Anna Hevner. Uh, yeah, the Williams. David and Brianna. So Brianna, who's on staff with us and, and does our kids, her and her now husband, David. Uh, is there other people that we're forgetting? Are we going to offend anyone here? No? Rob Friesen's hanging around yeah, here. Somewhere yeah, somewhere. Maybe he wishes he was a part of... You're in his heart. Actually, Jill and Sean, yeah. they weren't necessarily part of UCM, but... No, no, but connected with them through... Uh, Jill and I worked at Pool uh, uh, together. Yeah. At Crystal Pool. Crystal yeah. Pool. And so yeah. Dave actually was sharing the gospel with Jill and invited her to West Village. And yeah, neat story there too. Um, so the reason Dave's up here is because uh, a number of months ago, we were, if you recall this way back in the fall, we are actually before the fall, uh, like kind of late spring. 
spring, we had kind of put out a, a hiring process. We were looking for somebody to come down here and do some ministry with us, uh, you know, kind of an intern position, primary uh, area of responsibility. We were working with our high school students. We put together a hiring team that consisted of myself and Andrew, who's on staff here, and Ken DeSaw, uh, and Carrie Braunberger. Uh, and we started, uh, you know, just interviewing people and having conversations. And, and long story that we don't have time to share this morning, but Dave had seen that we were looking and got in touch with us. And so we started an interview process, went through that. It was going really well. We felt really good about it. But um, as is often the case around here, we're kind of like, ah, we're, we're, we're slow to just pull the trigger on uh, hiring people, especially people that we don't know, like outside of our church community, because we're such an odd bunch that we feel bad for other people when they have to come in here and be a part of this thing and not really know who we are. So we said, Dave, we think you're awesome, uh, but uh, we think it'd be really cool if you just come and hung out with us for a while. We know, like, you know, it's a, like, 10-hour-a-week job, so that's a pretty big ask, but it balls in your court, you know, like, uh, and he's like, cool, we're in. Uh, so him and Leah moved here back in August, have been, there's lots of transition for them. They've had moved, like, three times, I think. Four moves in total. Four moves in total. Uh, that's a whole another story, but I've been hanging out, and Dave's been working with Andrew, who's been working with our students, and we've just been kind of watching their life. We've been talking to the high school students. We've been talking to the youth leaders. We've been talking to the parents of uh, the high school students, just going like, hey, what do you see? Do you feel like this would be a good fit? Uh, and, and just really feeling like it was a good fit. And so uh, as of January 1st, uh, Dave is now on staff with us uh, for 10 hours a week. Did I get that right? 10-ish hours a week. Is it 10 hours a week? 10 hours. Okay, Michelle's nodding. Yes, 10 hours a week. Uh, and we don't know where it's going to go. We're, we're excited to have him here. He's, uh, he's kind of hit the ground running and working with us. And so, Dave, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to say? I know that's like super awkward and open-ended. Yeah, yeah but. Yeah. Well, okay, here, here. I'll yeah. make it easier on yeah. you. Uh, why are you excited to be here? Like, why would you do this? Why would you, like, you know, for a 10-hour-a-week thing, just kind of pick up and move here and want to do this? I mean, you're an accomplished guy. You've had a career, and you're really kind of taking a big change of direction. Why? Yeah. Um, I would say that... Probably like a, a big thing for me, I, I remember years ago when when God was really kind of changing the, the direction of my life and and uh, and really like changing my heart in a lot of ways and uh, kind of surrounding ministry. I remember I was listening to uh, Francis Chan and there was something that he said that's kind of like haunted me. And, and he said, I don't want to get to my the end of my life and just realized that I've just been playing a game the entire time, that I wasn't taking it seriously. And so Leah and I have always been really passionate about, like, man, like, we really want to live out our Christian walk. We really want to make disciples that make disciples. We really want to, to live out our faith, not just a, hey, I show up on Sunday, I punch my Sunday church clock, and then, you know, I'm good. Uh, but what does it look like on a day-to-day -day basis? And for both Leah and I, we've, we've always just kind of kept our eyes open of like, uh, hey, who who is doing this? Who is trying to really uh, live out the gospel? And it's something that we've, um, yeah, just kind of been continuously praying about and just really felt like when, when we decided we were living in Grand Prairie, Alberta, and decide, yeah, we're going to make a move to BC. 
uh, we were really praying about this, and it was kind of like, come on and work with West Village or, or move to Kamloops, and, and kind of have like a little bit more of a comfortable life, more comfortable setup, and that's where we were like really tempted to go, and it's like, you know what, like, again, we don't want to really live our lives and get to the end and realize we were just playing a game, you know, yeah. and just really felt like our hearts being, being led to, to come and serve and be the church. That's awesome. Awesome. So they're here. Uh, Leah's away this weekend, uh, but they're here. I encourage you to get to know them. They love having people over. They love getting invited places. So uh, go go ahead and do that and, uh, and spend some time uh, getting to know Dave and Leah. Dave, I'm going to pray for you, uh, and then we're going to jump into God's Word together. Lord Jesus, I thank you uh, for bringing Dave and Leah to us. Um, thank you for them and their heart to serve you. Uh, to follow you. Pray, Lord, that in this season that you would uh, just use them in a powerful way, not just in our church, but um, but even in our city. I know they have a heart to connect with people. They're evangelists. They want to share the gospel. They, they want people to know you. They're desperate to see that happen. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would use them in a mighty way. We thank you that in many ways they are the answer to uh, hundreds of prayers that have been prayed over the last number of years, that you would continue to send more uh, workers to the harvest field, that you'd continue to send more Christians here to the city of Victoria to see themselves as missionaries, to pour their lives out for your glory and your grace. And so uh, we pray that you would do the work that you want to do in our city through them, that they would have a piece of your inheritance for this city laid out before them, and that many would come to know you uh, through their lives. And so we thank you for them uh, and are excited, God, about what you're going to do. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said... Amen. Okay, thank you, Dave. Thank you very much. Yeah, you can clap for him. Absolutely. If you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6, because that is where we are going to be this morning. We're going to start in verse... Uh, we're going to start in verse 16, and we'll see how far uh, we get. But if you're just kind of jumping in with us, let me just kind of set the table. So one of the things we do at West Village is we love to go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And so we've been going verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew since... A long time, um, and we are in a section of the Gospel of Matthew that is known as the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is probably the most well-known of all of Jesus' teachings. It's where Jesus says the things that you probably have thought of when you think of the things Jesus says. And so uh, what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount essentially is laying the groundwork for what it looks like when he is on the throne. He, he's giving what we've been calling the constitution of the kingdom. He's saying, I am the king. I have come to inaugurate my kingdom. And this is what it looks like to live in my kingdom. Now, what's interesting about the way that Jesus prescribes uh, living in his kingdom is that it's completely opposite of everything that we know and everything that we hear on a consistent basis. Uh, so if you were to, for example, sit in the, the gospel of the world or the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of our culture, what you are going to hear is a message that sounds something like this. Blessed are you or it is going well for you when you try really, really hard to be successful. When you try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, when you try and pardon the French, but get crap done, you know, when you're, when you're on your A game, right? God helps those who help themselves, right? Some people even quote that as a Bible verse, even though it's not, and it's probably demonic. And then Jesus comes in and starts preaching the, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of his kingdom, 
And he says the complete opposite. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those who recognize that they have a deep need for God, that no matter how hard they try, that no matter how much effort they put in, that no matter what they try and accomplish in and of themselves, there's still this nagging longing in your heart for something more because there's a brokenness in you that you can never fix on your own and you need to come to God. You need to come to Jesus. You need to humble yourself. You need to submit yourself to him and that there's no other way to actually operate. And that the way of the kingdom is completely opposite of the way of the world. It's all about self-sacrifice. It's all about self-denial. It's all about other-centered enemy love. And really what we have in the Sermon on the Mount, and I don't know if you've been feeling this as we've been going through it, but it's this collision of kingdoms. It's this colliding of narratives. It's this collision of these two different gospel messages that we sit under. There's the the message that we hear every single day, all the time as we live and try and function in the world that God has placed us in. And then there's the message of Jesus. But here is where it really gets real and significant. It's not just the gospel of culture or our world in the gospel of Jesus. It's not just those two kingdoms that are colliding, but here's the frank reality that we all have to wrestle with, that we all have to do something with, is that it's the kingdom of Jesus and it's our kingdom. It's the the kingdom of Jesus where he sits on the throne, where he has dominion, where he has authority, where he has rule and reign, And it's the kingdom of Chris, where I I like to call the shots, where I like to rule and reign, where I like to have dominion and authority. And yes, I love to sprinkle a little Jesus into that every once in a while. But the reality is this sermon in every way is colliding with our hearts. And we have to decide who gets to be king, who sits on the throne, who rules and reigns. And in Matthew chapter 6, what Jesus is doing, the whole chapter, or most of the chapter, what he's doing is he's confronting religion. If you're here this morning and this is like a new thing for you, you've been out of church for a long time, you're coming back to church, you've had experiences with church, I don't know how many times I've heard this story, right? But, But I'm all into God, I love spiritual things, but I'm not into religion, right? I'm not into church, uh, hear that all the time. Well, guess what? You're, you're in a good place because that's what Jesus is doing here. Oh, what Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 6 is he's, he's critiquing religion. He's critiquing a particular group of people, the religious leaders known as the Pharisees and the scribes. These are like the guys that were running the show. They were the pastors in the church. And what he's doing is he's coming up against them and he's saying, the way that you guys practice your religion, the way that you practice your, 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 your worship of God, it's wrong. It's wrong. He actually goes so far as to call them hypocrites, as we'll see this morning. That, yeah, you're on the outside, you look religious and pious, but on the inside, you are actually broken, you are empty, you are destitute, you are corrupt. And the reason that you're practicing your religion, the reason you're doing the things that you're doing is because you actually want to look good for others and and not look good for God. But God sees through the facade. So God hates religion. He doesn't, he, he hates religion in the sense that it produces hypocrisy. 
He hates religion in the sense that he's not necessarily primarily concerned with what's going on on the outside, but he's deeply concerned with what is going on on the inside. He wants your heart. And if you're here and you're burned out on church, you're burned out on religion, man, this is good news for you. Because what you're not going to hear Jesus say this morning is you, you got to clean yourself up. You got to get yourself right so you can come to God. You got to do a bunch of churchy things. You got to pray. You got to dress a certain way. You got to look a certain way. You got you to you do these things in order to make yourself right with God. You're going to hear the complete opposite of that. In fact, Jesus is going to critique people who try and live their lives like that. And Jesus takes three areas of spiritual discipline and uses those as, as examples to critique religion. So he started with giving, giving to the poor in particular. He, he then moved on to prayer, and we, we talked about those uh, prior to Christmas. And this morning, what he's going to come after is fasting, the discipline of fasting, which is kind of ironic because we actually just taught on fasting back in the fall. And I'd like to say we're smart enough around here that we plan this stuff, but we don't. It just kind of happens this way. God is sovereign. Chris is dumb. And this is just how it worked itself out. So we get to talk about fasting again. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, and just as an aside, maybe that's the way it worked out because God actually wants to say something to us about this discipline and practice. And so, you know, this is just my inside voice talking here, but lean in. I think I might have something for us. This is his grace for us. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, look at what Jesus says. He says, when you fast, okay, let's stop there. Let's stop there. When you fast, I want you to notice here what Jesus doesn't say. Okay, he doesn't say if you fast. He doesn't say if you feel like fasting. He says when you fast. And so there's this baseline assumption by Jesus that his followers will fast. Now, now you might hear that and, and, and you're like, okay, I, I don't, I don't, I've never fasted. I've never heard of fasting. What is fasting? I don't get it. What I want us to see, just for a quick second here before we get too far down this rabbit trail, is this. That there's something about fasting, which I'll unpack in just a second, that helps us discern and understand the very heart of God for his people. Now, some of you may have never heard of this practice of fasting. You might, again, new to church, coming back, whatever the case may be. But when we talk about fasting, there's kind of two ways to understand it. The first way is a physical level. On a physical level, what Jesus is talking about is the denial of food. Denying yourself food so that you can seek after him in a more profound way. So we, we, we talked about this back in the fall. And some of you heard, uh, you, you heard me say this and you're like, oh, I thought we could fast from anything. I thought we could fast from our cell phones. I thought we could fast from Netflix. I thought we could fast from video games. And like I said, back in the fall, that's called adulting, right? That's not fasting. That's just being an, an adult. Um, just joking, sort of. Um, whenever fasting's talked about in the scriptures, if you go back and study church history and the way fasting's always been understood, it is fasting from food. So if we've taught wrong on that in any way, that I apologize. That's on me. That's on us as elders. We haven't discipled you well memo to the church family. Fasting equals the denial of food. Now, now, for some of us, we can't do that for health reasons, all that stuff. I get it. But, but I just want to be clear about what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, I want you to deny yourself of a, a, the worldly pleasure of eating so that you can seek and pursue me. But there's something deeper that is happening when we fast. It's not merely 
about the denial of food. See, what fasting ultimately is, is this, and, and just kind of follow this with me here for a second. It's, it's a physical act that is actually telling a spiritual story. So the denial of food to pursue uh, intimacy with Jesus and connection with Jesus, that's what's happening on, on a physical level. There's a denial of food, but it's actually telling a spiritual story. Like something deeper, there's a deeper meaning to it than, than the mere skipping of a couple of meals. You know, because what fasting isn't about is putting yourself through pain, putting yourself through hardship, suffering, so you can somehow stay closer and connected to God. That's not what fasting is. This isn't like some weird religious experience where you beat yourself and somehow, you know, this sadistic expression of worship is going to make you feel bad about yourself. And then you kind of on your hands and knees, you come gravel, groveling to Jesus. That's not what fasting is. It might feel like that, but that's not actually what it is. What Jesus is talking about when he talks about fasting, what the Bible talks about when it talks about fasting is that your life is now telling a story. And this is the story that it's telling. That Jesus is enough to satisfy my soul. I don't need anything else. If you think about the, 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 the idea of denying yourself food, like that's the basic sustenance of life, right? We would think like, you know, you can't live without uh, bread and water. These are, these are essential to life. And, and, and so then what fasting is saying is actually, no, there's something deeper that is essential to life. Yes, bread is important. Yes, water is important. Yes, the nourishment of your body is important, but the nourishment of your soul is even more important. And what Jesus wants his followers to experience is that he, he can actually sustain all of you. And the tension that we have to wrestle with and we have to work out is, are we, are we prepared to sacrifice the lesser things for the deeper things? Right? If you, if you have kids, uh, if you're here this morning, you have kids, you know what this is like. I mean, I, I remember when I was a small guy and I'd go to the restaurant with my parents and I loved going to the restaurants where, this is dating me here, where they had free refills, right, on the drink. I think everywhere does that now, but this was, uh, was the 80s. This is before free refills. And, and I would get to the restaurant and I would order a pop. This was like a big day. This is a big day for me, okay? I don't know why, but I love, and I would just drink Beverage after beverage after beverage. And, and here's what my parents would say, right? Like before dinner would even come, I would have three, four, five Cokes if they would allow. My parents were bad parents. So just let me do whatever I wanted. Obviously, that's how I turned out like this. And, and I would drink all these pops and then the meal would come and I, I wouldn't be hungry because I filled up on Coke. And so my parents would always say this to me, you need to, you need to not drink pop so that you'll eat your dinner, right? In other words, don't fill up on junk so that you can have something more substantive. In a lot of ways, that's a helpful analogy for what fasting is. We, we, we want to give up the lesser things for the deeper things. So, so this begs the question, right? There's, there's a question that we, we need to ask here. 
actually want to experience what it feels like to be sustained by Jesus? And to what degree are we willing to do that? Because, listen, I get it. This is is hard. The idea of going without food for any length of time, it's hard. Like, when I do it, I get super hangry. Like, I, I, hangry, hungry, angry. Uh, I remember, like, the last, we, we've been doing these monthly days of fasting and praying, and uh, I forget that they're happening, okay? Because, <laughs> yeah, so I, I came uh, downstairs, and I make my lunch the night before. So it was, a, uh, it was a Tuesday that we were fasting and praying. I get home from basketball, play basketball one day. I get home late. I make my lunch. I put it in the fridge so that in the morning I can just kind of wake up, grab my lunch, and go. So I wake up, grab my lunch, I'm walking out the door, and Kelly looks at me, and she goes, aren't you fasting today? And I'm like, holding my lunch. I'm like, no, I'm not. Get behind me, Satan. It's this woman you gave me. Lord, what is wrong with her? Like, yes, I am. And I... And it's not like I'm excited about it. I'm not pumped about it. Nobody's pumped about fasting, right? We've got, oh, I've got a big meeting today. I've got a big thing today. So, so I get that. I feel that. I feel that with you. But, but just think about this for a second. When we make excuses for why we can't fast, here's what we're saying. It's, it's kind of the issue behind the issue. It's this idea that there's deeper things going on. Here's what we're saying. I have a big meeting today. I've got a big appointment today. I've got a big thing to do today. So I need to be full of food so that I can function properly. What we're saying, like, it's crazy. Jesus, you're not enough. I actually don't think you can sustain me. So I need food. And so the question we have to wrestle with as followers of Jesus is like, do we actually want to experience the fullness of Jesus? Do we want that? Because that's what fasting is about. It's about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Not tasting and seeing that my lunch is good. And sometimes by denying myself this pleasure, this baseline, basic need, and knowing that I can't have it, it forces me to this place where I have to go to Jesus for my sustenance. I'm coming home, it's five o'clock, it's been dark for like six months, I'm hungry, I'm angry, I don't want to love my wife and my kids, I want to yell at them. What do I do in that moment? Do I eat a bag of potato chips to get my blood sugar up, to make me feel better so that I can walk in the door? And do my best to love them well? Or do I sit in my car for 10 minutes before I go in the house, take a deep breath, and press in to Jesus? So Jesus, you said you are the bread of life. Whoever eats this bread will never hunger again. I can't do this. I need you.
And the Holy Spirit gives me an extra endowment of the grace of God that I could walk into my home and love my wife and kids when I don't even feel like it. And I experience in a real, tangible, practical way the grace of Jesus actually getting bigger. Oh, he is good. Oh, he can sustain me. And so Jesus' invitation is to come to him for sustenance. Now, there's a whole bunch of reasons, other reasons why people fast. I'm not going to go into those today. If you go back on our website, you can listen to our fuller teaching on fasting. But I will say this. One of the things that we as a church family have been doing this year, the, the leaders just feeling this deep sense that we as a church are in a place where we need to press into Jesus. Like, there's some great stuff happening around our church. I actually believe this is going to be one of the best years we've ever had. Movie theaters packed. Church is growing. People are meeting Jesus. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. But it scares me, and it should scare you. Here's why. Because nothing fails like success. What happens when things are going awesome? We forget that we desperately need Jesus. Because everything's going awesome. And we look around and we say, look at what we've built with our hands. I start to think I must be an awesome leader. I must be an awesome preacher. We must have an awesome thing going on. We start to look around and go, yeah, this is awesome. Everything's awesome. We actually don't need Jesus. Now, we never say that with our lips, but we start to believe it with our hearts. And what we've said as elders, as leaders around here, is like we need to press in deeper in this season to Jesus. And so here's what we are asking the whole church family to do. We're going to continue to do this at least for the rest of the year, but my suspicion is only going to grow is we've been calling the church family to a, a, a day a month of fasting and praying. So I think if you could throw that slide up uh, on the screen, there we go. So Tuesday, January 22nd, we're asking you to fast from sunup to sundown, which is basically like never in the winter in the West Coast. So there you go. That's an easy one. Hey, oh, I get to fast from 11 to 1. That's great. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but then we want, what we want to do is we want to, we want to break the fast together by coming together for a time of worship and prayer. It's an hour long. It's interactive. It's not going to be weird and awkward. Well, it might be, but we'll do our best to make it not, not that. Uh, we're going to meet at the West Village offices, which you can see the address. It's just up the road. And so we just want to encourage you to, to make that a priority. Uh, put that in your calendar right now. Take a screenshot, put it in your calendar. Come and join us. Even if you, listen, if you don't fast, don't feel like, oh, I didn't fast, I can't come to the prayer thing. Just come and pray. Or if you can't come to the prayer thing, don't feel like I can't fast. If you, you know, pray, whatever, like as a, uh, you know, as a couple or as a family, encourage community groups even, just if you're meeting that night, just say, you know, we're going to go to this as a community because we think it's deeply important. What we want to do as a church is posture ourselves in such a way as to say, Jesus, we're desperate for you. We're desperate for you. We need you to sustain us as a church. We need you to provide for us as a church. We need you to move in our city because we aren't smart enough. We aren't charming enough. We aren't good looking enough to have this thing figured out. And so we need you to move. And so come and join us as we do that. Okay, let's keep, let's keep moving here with the few minutes I have left. Okay, when you fast, Jesus says, look at what he says next. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. 
for they disfigure their faces to show that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, remember what Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 6. Yes, he's talking about fasting. Yes, he's teaching his disciples about fasting, but there's something deeper that's happening here. He's critiquing religion. He's critiquing this outward, pious uh, disembodied from actual, from any actual love of God kind of obedience. And look at what he says here. He uses two words to describe the kind of fasting. When he talks about hypocrites, he's talking about the religious leaders. He says that when they fast, they, they look somber. In other words, they look depressed. They kind of have this, woe is me, I'm suffering for Jesus kind of look on them. Right, it's the kind of people like some of us do this. Like I, I know I struggle with this when when I'm fasting, where it's like you know you you're hanging out with somebody and they're eating and they offer you no, I'm fasting. No, I'm I'm more spiritual than you. Oh, what? It's the church fasting and praying day. You brought a lunch to the office, Andrew. Oh yeah, <laughs> jerk, you're fired. He did that once, just to be clear. <laughs> right? It's just this idea that, like, I am, I am looking, like, painfully looking like I am trying hard to follow and serve Jesus. And then he uses another word to describe them, or a phrase here where he says they disfigure their faces. In other words, what they would do, the, the, the translation literally would be makes themselves invisible, which seems like a good thing, right? But it's not, because what they would do is they would take ash and they would completely cover themselves with ash so that everybody would know that they are indeed fasting. They could look at one of these Pharisees, religious leaders, and they would say, that person's fasting. And, you know, the Pharisees teach the law would fast a couple of times a week. And so a couple of times a week, these guys are walking around looking holy, looking pious. And look at what Jesus says about them. He says, don't do it like that, okay? So there's, a wrong, there's actually a wrong way to fast. Don't do it like them. Here's, here's why. Because they have received their reward in full. In other words, the whole point of fasting is not to bring glory to ourselves, but rather to bring glory to God. Because what we're doing, again, with our lives is telling a story that we are absolutely desperate for God to move. Bread alone is not enough to sustain us. The things of this world are not enough to sustain us. The food in our fridge, the, the amount of zeros in the bank account, the, the amount of square footage, the niceness of our offices, the cushiness of our homes, it's not enough. It's not enough. And we need Jesus. And what they are doing, what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are doing, is they are robbing God of the glory because the attention is not on him. It's on them. It's not, look at Jesus, it's, look at me. It's not, isn't Jesus great? It's, aren't I great? And functionally, what they have done is they've traded the glory of God for the glory of men. So instead of fasting and feasting and longing for the approval of Jesus, to hear the words of their heavenly father whispered over them, these are my sons and daughters with whom I'm well pleased. What they've done is they said, hey, aren't you impressed with me? Look at how much I fast. Look at how hard I try. Look at how holy I am. Look at how pious I am. 
And look at what Jesus calls them. Verse 16, he calls them hypocrites. Hypocrites. Here's why. Because they are using God to try and make themselves look holy and pious. They're hypocrites. Now, now there's something here for us that I think extends even beyond fasting. There's a warning here that Jesus is putting in front of us. He's asking us to test our motivation for why we are actually following him and doing the things that we do. Why do you serve me? Why do you follow me? Why do you live on mission? Why do you open your home? Why, why, do, you, why, why do you play in the band? Why do you preach sermons? Why, why do you do what it is you do in my name? Do you do it for my glory? Or do you do it for your own? I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you're serving, like, and if you're in a community group, you know this all too well, right? Because we talk about community groups, and we talk about them being awesome, and everyone should be in one, and it's, you know, it's the greatest thing ever. It's not the greatest thing ever. It's the worst thing ever. It's horrible. It's, it sucks, okay? It just full-on sucks. Why? Because people suck. Because you suck, and because I suck, and we make up community groups, so therefore community groups suck. Oh, great, let's sign up for that. Hey, no, yeah. we trick you, we lie to you, we tell you they're awesome, and then we, ah, blah, it actually sucks. But here's what happens. You get into a community group, and you're, you know, like even just the, the event of pulling off a weekly meal, it, all it does is it exposes all of the brokenness in everyone. Right, because you've got people in your community group who like, and, and this happens. Like, it's just the, we do the weirdest things. But like, the email will go out, or whatever tool you use to organize your community meal will go out, and and there's like those people that like never respond until everyone else has responded. Right, so you get like three or four people, the same three or four people that like, oh, they always bring a main, and then someone at the last second chips in and goes, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring a veggie tray that I picked up, and took me no time to. And so what can end up happening is you can get in this position where you start to feel like I'm doing all the heavy lifting. I'm doing all the work. I'm, I'm pulling all the weight. I'm the only one that opens my house. I'm the only one that I'm, 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 I'm. I'm disfiguring my face. I'm looking somber. Woe is me. Woe is me. We've robbed God of the glory. We've robbed him of the glory because our our motivation has been exposed. We are actually serving ourselves, not Jesus. We're, We're actually looking for the approval of others, not the approval of our heavenly father. Now, let me just be clear for a second. This isn't like, Jesus isn't saying you should be a doormat. Jesus isn't saying you should just constantly let people walk all over you. Jesus isn't saying you should never take a break or have a rest or have a a Sabbath, but he is asking you to test the motivation of your heart because if you serve him, if you serve him here on a Sunday, if you serve him as you open your home and open your lives to people and what's starting to happen is tiredness is setting in. Bitterness is setting in. Resentment is setting in. Frustration with others is setting in. If you go home with your spouse and you say things like, no one else does as much as we do, or why do we always have to do this, or why is it just us? You might actually not be doing it for Jesus. You might be doing it for yourself. 
And Jesus is saying, like, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. Okay, just be clear. Don't get mad at me, get mad at Jesus. If that's you, you might be a hypocrite. Who are we serving? Who are we pressing into? Who do we want to have the glory? If you are living for the approval of man, that's like eating bread. It will satisfy you for a little bit, but it cannot sustain your soul. And you will burn out and you will flame out. Jesus is saying, feast on me. Look at what he says next. Verse 17. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, your Father who sees what is done in secret. He will reward you. So what Jesus is saying here is, Make yourself invisible. When he talks about putting oil on your head and washing your face, this is just common grooming practice. Saying, make yourself look normal like you would any other day. He's saying, don't go out of your way to not look like you're fasting. Just fast. Be normal. Look normal. Act normal. Behave normal. So as to not draw any attention to yourself at all. Because if you don't draw any attention to yourself at all, your heavenly Father sees what you've done in secret, and he will reward you. So I don't need the approval of man. I don't need the affirmation of others. I don't need Chris to pat me on the head and say, good job. Because my heavenly Father is whispering over my life, well done, good and faithful servant. With you I am pleased. You are my joy and my delight. And that then becomes the thing that sustains you. And it's not a coincidence that he attaches this teaching to the discipline of fasting. Because what fasting is, is a living testimony, a living parable that's telling our world a counter-narrative. I don't live for things. I don't live for the approval of others. I don't live for retirement. I don't live so that I can walk the beach, collect seashells, throw sticks to my dog Fido, and sip $5 lattes. I live and long for Jesus. I live and long for him. And so the question then is this. Is that enough? Is that enough? Can you live on that? Can you feast on that? Can that 
sustain you. I'm going to invite the band to come up as we close. I was reading a book yesterday. I'm reading a book by a guy by the name of Jordan Peterson. He wrote a book called 12 Rules for Life. And in there, he tells this story about how, and I don't know if this is true or not, but how you go about catching, uh, trapping a monkey. He says what, you, what they would do is this. They would take a, a, a jar and they would weight it down or tie it down so that it couldn't be moved. And it would be a, a jar that had like a narrow neck to it, open enough that you could get a hand in, but narrow enough that you couldn't pull it back out if the fist was clinched. You know, it have a wide bottom to it. And, and inside the jar, what they would do is they would place, I don't know, whatever it is that monkeys eat, I have no idea. And they would they'd place that in there. And then they would wait. They would leave the jar. This is a functional trap. They would leave the jar there. And then at night, the monkey would come and he would come over to the jar and he'd reach his hand in and he would grab onto the tree. But he couldn't pull the tree out because his hand was, it was stuck. The only way he could get the tree out is if he let, or sorry, get his hand out is if he let go of the tree, then he could pull his hand out. But he wouldn't do that. He would try and run, but the jar was fastened down. He couldn't get away, but he wouldn't let go of the tree. And then the, the people would, would come out and they would literally just capture the monkey. That would be it. It would be over. And all the monkey had to do to get away, like it's, it's, it's insane, right? Like, what is wrong with you, monkey? Are you stupid? Yes, you're stupid. You're a monkey. Your frontal lobes haven't developed as much as our frontal lobes have, right? But he would just, he would just hold on to the tree and not, and not let go. That's a metaphor for our lives. That's a metaphor for what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about fasting or living for the approval of others, when, when he talks about settling for lesser, when he talks about just having the cravings, the, the cravings of the flesh satisfied, but not allowing the soul to be satisfied. What he's saying, what Jesus is saying is we trade the greater thing for the lesser thing. And we're like monkeys with our fists in a jar, holding on to something that we really want when the better thing is out there. And all we have to do is let go. Deny. Fast. And experience the fullness of Jesus. We're funny creatures, aren't we? Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus looks at us. He sees this. He sees us living just like hypocrites, just like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And he says, it's okay. I will, I will do the thing for you that you could not do for yourself. That this isn't about trying really, really, really hard to follow me. This is about humbling yourself and coming to me. 
And the beautiful message of the Sermon on the Mount, the beautiful message of the gospel, the beautiful message of Jesus is that this isn't about your effort. This isn't about go home and try really, really hard to fast now. This is see that Jesus is actually better than everything else, friends. See that his perfect life lived for you is better than the life you could ever try and live for yourself. That just like we fail to fast, he successfully fasted 40 days in the wilderness. See that his death on the cross was in your place for your sins, that that, that that was God's way of looking down at you and saying, I recognize that you can't do the things that I've asked you to do. So instead, what I am going to do is I'm going to enter into the brokenness, enter into the fray, give my life for you, lay it down for you so that you can experience the forgiveness of God, so that you can hear. Friends, listen to this this morning. Some of you need to hear this. The words of your heavenly father whispered over your soul that you are his joy and his delight, that he loves you. And all we have to do is let go. Let go. Let me pray for us. Would you stand as we pray? Lord Jesus, you are good. Is he good, church? Come on now, church. Is he good? Amen. You are good. You want for us, even far greater than we want for ourselves, you want to give us the thing that we could never have on our own. We can be satisfied if we come to you if we just open our hands, open our hearts, and just say, come in. If we let go of the thing that we are holding on to, if we let go of the brokenness of our past, if we let go of the brokenness of our marriages, if we let go of this, this foolish thing that we've bought into that somehow what we can seek, find, comfort, and enjoyment in this world, if we would reject the lie that says we can somehow have the things of this world and you. Whatever it is, Lord, that we are holding on to, show us right now. And help us to let go. not just because we want to let go of some, we see that in front of us is the greatest treasure and the greatest prize. You. We want you. Help us to want you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.